I'm glad you've chosen to spend the last Sunday of 2020 right here. It's going to be a good day. I had just gotten out of high school back in uh, 1981, and uh, a friend of mine, Dennis Livingston, and I decided we would take a trip to San Antonio. And uh, we were young and not so smart. And, uh, but he had family down there, so it was not going to cost us a whole lot of money. And uh, we had a great time down there. We started making our way back home in my 1979 Monte Carlo Brown. And uh, my parents had given it to me, passed it down to me, I should say. How about that? It was awesome. So on the way back home, though, check engine lights coming on, and it's getting hot, and there's steam coming out, and I am car illiterate, all right? So all I know to do is pull over. So we pull over, and we wait a little bit, and open the hood to just look at it, you know, because that's what you do. And so, yeah, there it is. So um, it's too hot to, you know, remove, remove the radiator cap and all that stuff. So we just sat there for a while and found that we could start the car again and go on down the road. Hey, this is awesome. Didn't get very far. Same thing happened again. Light comes on, steam comes out, pull over, wait a little while. And so what should have taken about, I don't know, five hours to get back home from San Antonio ended up like eight hours because we were pulling over every few minutes, stop, wait, let it cool down, get back in the car, drive a little bit more, not too fast. Can't use the air conditioner because it makes it even worse. I don't know why, but it did. So it took forever to get back home from that trip. And boy, I couldn't have been more glad to finally pull in that driveway and say, whoo, we're home. Coming to the end of 2020, I couldn't be more excited to say, whoo, we're done with that, at least this year. That doesn't mean that what's ahead is going to be a whole lot easier, but at least I've come to the end of this journey. I can regroup now, I can get some things fixed, and I can drive my Monte Carlo again, right? I can go again. As we go into a new year, it's good to regroup, to regather, to seek the Lord and say, okay, God, we've made it. We're at the end of 2020. It is not at all what we thought it was going to be. You had goals, I had goals, I had thoughts, you had thoughts, dreams about what the year was going to be, and it didn't work that way for any of us. It turned out to be something much different. Through it all, as Caleb said, God has been faithful, God has been moving and working, and he will continue that. Our role as his people is to keep our eye on him in the midst of it, and know what is he up to, and what has he called us to. Two, our message today is called The Future of the Faith. I want us to think about what God has for the church and our responsibility to carry the faith forward into this next year. And man, what a year. So we've seen protests this year about racial injustice. We experienced the COVID pandemic, a shutdown of the culture as we knew it, a mask mandate in Texas that's still in effect, except in houses of worship, threats against the freedom of citizens across the United States, threats and mandates against churches meeting, doing the very thing we're doing today. 
in some states is against mandate. We've walked through a presidential campaign with two very different worldviews. There's been a threat to government structure and the culture as we know it with the promotion of socialism as a way of life. We've had a celebration of sin and perversion as the platform for a political party. And we've had a national election. And that election, we have yet to see the confirmed results of with what appears to be a blatant disruption and corruption of the whole process that is used for choosing a president. What a year. It's not over yet. And if all of that wasn't enough, somewhere along the way, we all face the threat of murder hornets. Remember that? I'm thankful that it wasn't as great as what they thought it was going to be. It's been a year of challenge to families, too. Families this year have had to be distanced from relatives uh, to see loved ones through windows and glass doors instead of being able to go in and visit. I've had to visit virtually by Zoom instead of in person. There's been illness. There's been just the regular struggles that come with a year. And there's been death. I would imagine that everybody in this room has somebody that they know that was affected by COVID and it brought a death into family or friend group. And then there are just deaths that happen in a year. But because of the COVID situation, people are not actually able to have the funerals that they normally would. That happened in my family. Two family members, one that I was extremely close to, uh, went to be with the Lord this year. And the family was not able to have a funeral. Uh, and it happened to another family member as well. And that's, that's just sad. It's difficult. The grieving process is challenging enough, but a funeral is supposed to help that process, and not being able to do so is, is, is painful. People have had changes to their job situations this year. People have had, in some cases, a lot more time at home than they had ever thought possible. Uh, education has changed as students came home for virtual learning, virtually learning, hopefully, in the whole process. Uh, some people chose to make some permanent changes to that and began homeschooling. And uh, social gatherings changed. Uh, within the family of Vertical, there are about 50 or more who have yet to return to active in-person services because of COVID concerns. So um, it's changed all of our lives in many different ways. And there's been a lot of change for individuals as well. It seems that there is a greater amount of uncertainty and stress and anxiety than there has been in quite some time. 
people are wrestling with that. Suicide rates around the world are on the increase. And the number of people who have considered or wrestle with the idea of suicide has skyrocketed because of uncertainty and fears. It's been a year of challenge for the church in America, the church as a whole. The church has struggled to know what to do in this day and time. Uh, the early reports were so alarming about COVID that uh, many churches, well, all churches, shut down. We did. Um, and then churches wrestled with, do we open back up? How do we care for our community while at the same time holding to our conviction to meet and gather as God's people? And they've wrestled with that. Some still are. Uh, churches have struggled to keep up with what really is the greatest need in a community, the spiritual condition of a community. The, the most important needs of anyone are their ability to have hope and peace in their life. And the church is the only one who can do that. Walmart can't do that. Amazon can't do that. A movie theater can't do it. Netflix can't do it. The church, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the only one who can bring peace and hope to a community, to our world. Um, the church this year has struggled with knowing how to deal with the issue of race. The news and the media uh, have reported the issues uh, seemingly in a way that doesn't lend itself to hope and answers, but instead to create more conflict and confusion. And the church as a whole has struggled to know what to do. And many have sided with the culture and the media, and others have struggled to find a way to be compassionate, but at the same time speak truth and hold to some truths. The church has faced issues this year in ways that are different as it relates to government and politics. Churches struggle with, do we have a voice in this? Do we say something about it? Do we act like it's not happening? Do we pull back and do our own thing? Do we get right up in the middle of it? The church has struggled this year. It's been a year of change. And the church has struggled with whether or not to speak out about what's happening in culture in general. About sin that the world is actively engaged in and elevating does the church speak to it? Does the church stay away from it? Does the church do its own thing, separate from what's happening in the world? The church has struggled. But I am grateful for what God has done here at Vertical Church this year. Because in spite of challenge, in spite of struggle, in spite of uncertainty and questions, Vertical Church has kept the pace, has kept the course, has spoken out, has demonstrated compassion, and found ways to continue to minister the gospel in this day and time. I want to tell you about some of the ways that that has happened as we look back over 2020. If you go back to January of 2020, we started with a series called First Things First, if you remember that. 
And we talked about how God calls us to a set of priorities in our life. This is all pre-COVID and all those kind of things. Talked about the importance of reconciliation first, of uh, putting Him first in all things, priorities with Him first, giving first, all of those things we talked about in January and February. And then we started a series in March that was going to be in March and April called This Is My Story. We were going to help every person at Vertical understand how God was at work in their life and how to tell that story and how to do it in such a brief format that we were going to video every person's story that wanted to at Vertical and we were going to flood the social media with everybody's stories. Then COVID came and the shutdown happened and we were not able to finish that series. For 10 weeks, we did online services and our worship team and I would gather up here. And we started on Sunday mornings doing it live. And then we switched to Saturday nights doing it. We'd come up here. It was Saturday, actually. Most of the day, Saturday, we'd come up here and change this room into a giant studio, basically, with cameras set up. And we would film the worship. And then, then we got creative toward the end and started going, doing on-location stuff. We went down to the, ca- the caverns down, you know, almost to San Antonio and filmed a message in there. It was really cool. And we did one kind of touring walks at Hatchie. We found ways to continue to broadcast the message of hope in a very difficult time. We did two weeks of outdoor services, which was good for people at the time. And many people came out for that. And we worshiped and prayed and, and proclaimed God's word. And during that time, um, we became very grateful all of a sudden for the work that had been done in preparing uh, cameras and a very large booth back there to make online broadcast happen. I know you might have come in earlier in 2019 and thought, what in the world? Are y'all building Noah's Ark back there? What is that? But God had a purpose. God was preparing us because when it came time to transition to online, we were ready. We had the people and the technology and the ability, and we did so, and it was I mean, I was at home on Sunday mornings watching us, you know, and it was, it was moving, and uh, God used that time. And so uh, we did that. We continued online during the whole COVID crisis with a lot of things. We did our men's breakfast online, uh, and guys would join in, and we'd have conversation and, and, and the study there. Women's Bible studies happened online. A lot of our groups met online. Uh, Micah took our children's ministry online, and they were putting out uh, teaching for them as well. Our student ministry went online. Matt met with uh, senior high and junior high students in Zoom groups, and they continued on. And during that time, our online audience just just skyrocketed. People began to tell family members and friends, and God blessed through all of that. And now, today, we have 348 YouTube subscribers to Vertical Church and a crowd that's watching us even this morning right now live, and many who will watch us later this week. And so God worked in that time, even at a very difficult time. And then we began to meet back together, and God continued to work. And we've had some, some powerful series, some things that God has taught us as we've met together. And we've looked into his word, we've worshiped and cared for one another. Uh, we had our Kingdoms Out of Caves series, Rattle. Uh, we did our Signs of the End Time series, and then our Pick a Side series that made everybody nervous for just a little while. And uh, it was awesome. God moved through that. I, yeah, it was uh, something. But I, we just saw God work in so many different ways. In fact, after we started back, which was in June, 
We began praying that God would use us and move in our community. And from that time till right now, we've had 19 baptisms right here on this stage. Amen. Amen. People who are coming to faith for the first time or people who are recommitting their life to Christ and were sold out to him. We've had over 200 first-time guests since June who have come in these doors, that's right, and said, I want to see what God is doing there. We've had uh, 10 families join and say, I'm in for this vertical thing, what God's doing here. That's awesome. And we've got many more who are still in the process of uh, kind of kicking the tires and checking us out and seeing if this is home yet for them. So we're watching. We're seeing what God is doing here. He's growing our faith. He's deepening our trust in Him. We're understanding His ways. We are seeing uh, people find greater clarity and hope in their lives because of what Scripture teaches and as a result of their relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we come to the end of 2020 and we stand on the, the doorstep of 2021, it's important to stop regroup, assess, seek the Lord and say, okay, God, what do you have next for us? Because I don't want to just walk into 21 with, well, we'll see what happens. I believe God has a purpose for us. I believe God has a plan for us. And I want to walk in confident in that. I want to walk in with some certainty in it. I don't want to be blindsided. I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be without my feet planted. So today, I want us to look at what Scripture says about our calling and what is ahead for us as the church. Uh, I've used this title, The Future of the Faith, intentionally. Not the future of faith. Faith and the faith are really two different things. Faith is the ability to see God in the midst of seen circumstances. Because sometimes what he says is different than what you see, and faith is the ability to trust in what you cannot see. It's the confidence of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. But the faith is another phrase that's used in Scripture. The faith. And it's a reference to the body of belief, doctrine, and truth that wrap up what we believe, the essential truths that make up our faith. And the Bible uses many references for this term, the faith. So in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. You see, when you hold to the faith, when you hold to the things that are unchanging, when you hold to the things that you cannot compromise, when you hold to the things that are truth, it will be unpopular in the culture. It will cause people to be offended. That's what truth does. It will cause, cause you to go against the grain of cultural thought. The, the faith does that. It's not always going to be politically correct. It's not always going to be popular or even lawful. It will 
cause you to face risk, possibly arrest, when you choose to hold to the faith. And that's why Paul would write and say, look, you're going to need to watch. Watch what's happening in the culture. You're going to need to stand fast, immovable, and you're going to need to be brave and to be strong. And as we look into a new year, we may not know what events are going to unfold, but we do know what we stand upon. We do know who has called us, and we do know what he has called us to. We are to stand confident and bold in the faith. Hold to the things that you have been given. Hold to the truths that make up who you are. Do not compromise regardless of what anyone else says. Stand, be brave, be strong. Now this is where the church has really wrestled this past year. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. I want to show you a couple other verses from the book of Jude, verse 3. We see, contend earnestly. Those are nice new King James words for fight like a junkyard dog for the faith. You're going to have to contend earnestly. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to stay in the fight. You're going to have to not give up because this faith, the faith, was what was once and for all delivered to the saints. It was handed to you. It has been passed down to us. There are things and truths that today that you and I, we almost take for granted. We take them kind of easy. The fact that we can baptize up here on this stage by immersing someone in water as a declaration of what Jesus Christ has done in his death and, resur and resurrection and in their own death and resurrection, that was once a punishable crime. That cost you your life to be publicly baptized by immersion. And we take it for granted today, but that has been handed down to us. To believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that God's Word is God-breathed and without error, that over history has cost lives. People have died in defense of that truth. It's been passed down to us and placed in our hands now to carry on, to pass on to our children and their, their children and their grandchildren. This is what you and I have been handed, the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's word that men and women have died to pass on to us what we now have. So it's no wonder Scripture would say, you must contend earnestly for the faith, the belief that we have, the Scripture handed to us, the doctrinal truths that set us apart. Now the Bible speaks about a time to come, which we appear now to be part of in some ways. In 1 Timothy, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from, there it is, the faith. Not just faith, but the faith. The basic, essential, 
God-given truth handed down from the saints of old to us. Scripture says there'll come a day when some will depart from that. They will veer off course. They will take a different path. Now, sadly, this verse is not talking about people who say, I'm done with Christianity. I'm out. I don't want any more of that. No, this verse is actually a reference to some people who will say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I don't believe that God has certain ways that are essential. It's okay for people to marry how they want, when they want, who they want, what they want. It's okay for you name the sin. It's okay that you do those things. God accepts you as you are. Those who pervert the gospel, those who distort grace and faith, those who twist those truths yet claim to remain in it, they depart from the faith, yet they keep a, a name for themselves that's Christian. Oh, they talk a good talk on a Sunday, but live a very different life on a Monday. Oh, they twist the gospel that has been handed to us into some form and variation that fits the culture that they want to today. They try to make it more palatable. They try to make it more likable. They try to make it easier, and they distort the very thing that God has established. And for these, the church, much of the church today has bought into it. They've departed from the centrality of doctrine and truth in favor of appeasing the culture. So we have to ask the question today, if you and I are responsible for this body of faith that's been handed to us, what do we now do with it? How do we ensure as we carry it into the next generation that our children will pick it up? that their children will pick it up, that they will carry it on in the same way that we have been handed it from a previous generation. I want us to look today at the church and the faith in 2021 and what I'm calling five visionary mandates. Five essentials that you and I must hold to in order for us to fulfill what God has called us to. These, I believe, will give us hope. They will give us direction. We will truly keep the faith, contend for the faith, and do what God has called us to do. Here's the first. If you want to use your phone, take some snapshot of these for notes. I would encourage you to do so. Here's the first one. The church must refuse to be silent and separate from the culture. Now, this is where the church has struggled today because the church has wanted to say, well, I mean, I know they got all that stuff that they do and they believe. We just need to pull back and take care of our own things here. We need to stay out of entertainment. We need to stay out of government. We need to stay out of politics. Listen to me. If that is your worldview... You are believing in a worldview that is nowhere in Scripture. 
Nowhere do you find that faith was ever intended to be separate from life. God always called his people to believe and to live that out and influence others. To take that truth for the sake of others. That it might give them hope and peace with God and life in him. The idea that we should somehow take that in, hold it inside, and never say a word is foreign to Scripture and, in fact, is condemned in Scripture for those who do so. But I'm afraid we've reached a place where the church as a whole today doesn't believe that. The gospel is for every part of who we are. Individually, it's not just for a pocket of my life. The gospel and the truth of Scripture is for my soul, it's for my emotions, it's for my thinking, it's for my relationship, it's for my priorities, it's for my marriage, it's for my parenting, it's for my career, it's for my future, it's for how I drive, it's for how I talk, it's for how I live, it's for how I eat, it's for how I breathe. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's not just for a piece of me any more than it is just for a part of life. When God brings redemption, it's for the whole of me. And when God brings and seeks to bring redemption, it's for the whole of a culture, not just a group of the culture. The gospel is for the family unit. It's for health. It's for education in our day. God has something to say about how we teach and train our children. He wants us to teach from his perspective, with him being the center of all things, with scripture being the foundation of what we teach. He wants the entertainment industry to be built upon his truth. You don't have to toss it out just because it's entertainment anymore. You can bring it back in and put him at the center of it and help people see his glory, even in the entertainment industry. Government ought to have the truth of God infused into it. Politics, though it has come to be a negative and bad word in our day, it's the word that simply means the science of governing people. And if you hope to find any way that brings any sense about how to govern people, you're going to have to get back to God and Scripture. And the reason we're in the catastrophe we're in today in our own nation is because for a couple of generations or more, we have believed that somehow that stuff is supposed to be separate from what we do in here as church. And we couldn't have fallen for a more deceptive and destructive lie. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. He didn't say you are the light of the Sunday morning institution and building called church only. He calls us to take our light to the world. He doesn't call us to hide our light. He says, you don't do that. You don't light a light and hide it. You, you, you uncover it for all to see so that it gives light for everyone. The New Testament says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. Period. Not just some religious truth. Not just some religious thinking, but the whole of truth. 
And somehow Christians have gotten to the place where they think that, well, that's the kingdom of man and we're to worry about the kingdom of God. Look here. If you somehow think that the kingdom of God doesn't have anything to do with people, you've missed it, folks. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about, bringing the kingdom of God to man. That is our responsibility to take to them. And somehow this foreign notion that we're to be focused on the kingdom of God and not all that stuff out there is a deceptive and destructive lie from the enemy. If you somehow think that ignoring laws that allow the slaughter of babies is somehow something you and I are not supposed to be a part of, you're just messed up. You've missed it. If you somehow think that ignoring laws that celebrate immorality and use your tax dollars for the funding of gender fluidity in our day, if you somehow think that has nothing to do with us as Christians and believers and the church, you've missed the point about being the church. If you somehow think that the government taking taxes from hardworking, well-meaning, righteous-seeking people to give to those who don't belong to this country, don't care about this country, or are not interested in work, you've missed the point about what Scripture teaches. This is our responsibility to live under God's ways. If you somehow think that supporting government and leaders who seek to silence the church, limit its freedoms, have governments impose mandates upon them, force the church to hire people that are against our conviction and belief of the faith so that people of counter thought are working in a church in the children's ministry that somehow the government has the mandate power over that and we're supposed to just be silent about that? You've missed the point of Scripture. God has called us to live out His Word in the culture. We're to be separate from it, but we are to infuse it with truth. Speak to it. And the church is going to have to learn that in this day. The second visionary mandate that I believe is essential for us is this. The church must speak the truth for all areas of life and culture. There is a vertical way to live all of life. What Jesus came to do is not just for your get-to-heaven ticket. He came to redeem, transform, and renew every part of your life. That means he has a way to live every part of life. That means we have to surrender to that, yield to that, repent of our own ways, and say, God, we will walk in your ways. There were those in Jesus' day who sought to diminish the power of truth into just religion into just their appearance around the temple. And so they would say one thing in temple garb and do something different in their own garb. 
they separated truth from life. And Jesus had something to say about them. In Matthew 5, 19, he said, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you take the whole of God's truth and you diminish it down and you only teach small parts of it while leaving other parts off, if you only proclaim one element of it while slicing off whole other sections because you don't like it or you don't want to face the reaction or somehow don't, don't want to have to deal with the condemnation that might come from that, he says, I'm sorry, but I can't call you great in my kingdom if you won't be sold out to my ways. And God's calling his church in this day to be a voice. And I'm afraid we've been silent. I'm afraid we've gotten addicted to the applause of men. And we've been afraid to speak out and speak truth. Visionary mandate number three. The church must hold the line of faith regardless of reaction. You know, I um, just honestly... I myself got caught up in some time back what I believe was a, an out-of-balance teaching. Without going into all the behind-the-scenes of why, I fell in love with the doctrines of grace, that God had accepted me, loved me, and called me righteous apart from my own efforts and works. And that is truth. But I feel like I went too far in it and led some folks too far in it. Because it, the result was that people came to a place where they believed it was okay to sin because there was grace for that. Now I recognize there's going to be sin in my life, but grace should never cause me to say it's okay then to sin as a result of that. It should never cause me to even seek out sin and use grace as my defense for it. And the church, I think, has struggled with this idea. I have in the past. This idea of God's acceptance of me with the acceptance of sin. And the church has gotten that mixed up, I'm afraid. That we want to accept people and receive them here into our building even. Those who have struggled and are in the midst of horrific sin and brokenness in their life. I mean, we all come in broken. But there's a vast difference between showing someone the mercy and grace of God and accepting the sin that they are actively engaged in. Those are two different things. And it would be right for us as a church to welcome people to come in to our doors and demonstrate love toward them. But it would be wrong if we knew they were actively engaged in sin. It would be wrong on our part to not seek to lead them out 
to free them from that, to even correct, to even point out. And the church has struggled with this because we've not wanted to be offensive. And boy, that is the the buzzword of the day. Don't offend anyone. But when I read the scripture, one of the people who seemed to master the awkward moment and truth that offended people was Jesus. He was the guy that in a crowd would call the people who called themselves religious, he would call them snakes. He would call them fake news. He would call them the stench of death. He, he would call them sons of the devil. In public settings, with other people around, and make everybody awkward. He was the one who did it. And somehow we have lost that ability to think that that would even be possible. Like, oh, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to offend them. I don't want them to leave, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I'm sorry, you, Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. And there were times that he spoke truth, and there were times that it was just blatantly offensive if you don't believe it, all you have to do is look at the fact that he was arrested and crucified. It was because people were offended at what he had to say. And the church is going to have to get a backbone in this day. The church is going to have to grow up. The church is going to have to firm up. The church is going to have to plant its feet. The church is going to need to speak out and say some things. We're to be a people who love truth, stand for truth, and as Psalm 15 says, we swear to our own hurt, do not change. We stand for it, we declare it, and we're not afraid of what it might cost us. Number four, visionary mandate. The church must take up the banner and charge to fight against tyranny. There's a movement today to destroy the very foundations of our society and culture. That movement is rooted in a rejection of the faith. That movement is rooted in silencing us, the church. That movement celebrates the segmenting of faith away from government, politics, entertainment. That movement celebrates immorality, transgender lifestyles, fluid gender lifestyles, homosexuality, immorality. And this movement would seek to take away our freedom to do what we're doing right now, gather as the church, express our convictions express our faith and communicate it, participate in the culture, and even express our faith online. If you are carefully watching, you're noticing already that the message of Christians is being throttled 
across social media platforms. You think you're posting for all your friends to see. You don't realize how much your message is being throttled, pulled down, hidden away. It's happening to us as a church. It's happening to Christians and those who would speak against tyranny in our day. Recently, a group of secular Americans submitted a 28-page letter to Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, and I'm going to quote the letter and the statements about it, calling on them to expunge religion from all sectors of American public life and to re-educate Christian Americans that they should keep their religious dogma to themselves. This is you and I. In their document titled Restoring Constitutional Secularism and Patriotic Pluralism in the White House, they said this, and I quote, The constant entanglement of religion and government sweeps far beyond hot-button culture war issues. It permeates every aspect of government policy, health care, public and private education, foreign policy, tax policy, environmental policy, military policy, and more. Government decisions should be guided by science and evidence. We believe that now is the right time to disentangle government policy from the influence of religious interests that have become dangerously entrenched at all levels of government. There is a movement to remove us, our voice, our truth, and the faith from culture as a whole. It's time for us to wake up to this reality. You can't keep passing this off. You can't keep denying that it's happening. You can't ignore it. You can't keep saying, well, that's not the church's role. You can't keep saying, well, God's going to take care of it. Nothing ever changes anyway. It's all going to come back around. I'm sorry. Those are deceptive lies from the enemy. These are the types of tyranny that must be resisted, fought against, and stopped. I got a story I want to read that I just saw on my phone. It came up. It's about a, um, a woman in... Nope, that's not it. Where'd it go? I'm telling you, it got throttled from my phone. <laughs> I had it. Got it. This past week in Minnesota, a lady named Kim Hunt received this letter in her neighborhood. I couldn't help but notice your Christmas light display. She just had traditional Christmas lights on her house. During these unprecedented times, we all have experienced challenges with casual words that just don't describe what we're feeling. The idea of twinkling colorful lights are a reminder of systemic biases against our neighbors who don't celebrate Christmas or who can't afford to put up lights of their own. Systemic bias. Remember that phrase. And don't be surprised if you don't hear it more. That is a, a reference to an idea or set of beliefs 
that says we believe there should be this outcome and this, the, the argument is that that is a systemic problem today and they're referring to you and I that we believe there are certain outcomes and there are certain guidelines and morals that culture should be guided by and they're targeting Christians. She went on, in, or they went on in their story to Ms. Hunt and said, we must do the work of educating ourselves about the harmful impact an outward-facing display like yours can have. I challenge you to respect the dignity of all people while striving to learn from differences, ideas, and opinions of our neighbors. We must come together collectively and challenge these institutional inequities. In other words, I don't want to hear your voice anymore. I don't want to hear your faith anymore. And it's wrong for you to ever speak of it. This is a, an increasing problem in our culture today. It's a fight against tyranny, a control from government that wants to control our freedoms, our lives, to determine what we should do, when we should do it, and how we should do it, how much of it we should do, and then taxes for all of it. If there's anybody who's ever going to stand up to tyranny, it must be the church. We we, above all people, know the danger of tyranny in our lives. That's what we've been set free from our lives is the tyranny of Satan and sin over our lives. If there's anybody who, wants to, who knows how to set other people free, it's us. If there's ever going to be anybody in the culture that stands up, it has to be us. We have to be the ones to say something. We must be the ones that say something and proclaim a voice of truth. It's always been that way in cultures. If there was ever going to be a resistance to tyranny, it was the Christians who stood up. It was the Christians who were willing to lay down their lives. In our own nation's history, back in Revolutionary War days, there was one group that the British feared, and they gave that group a name. They called them the Black Robed Regiment. That group were the pastors of the churches in the area. They were the ones who mobilized the people. They were the ones who allowed their buildings to be used. They were the ones who stirred up the people to stand for their rights, resist tyranny. They were the ones who gathered resources, and the British didn't like them. I'm ready for a return of a black-robed regiment in our day. I'm ready for the church to be the one. Amen. And I'll finish with point five. There must be some churches who will boldly lead the way to speaking truth. You'll see why I chose the words I did here in just a moment. There's a vacuum of spiritual leadership in our world today. There's a vacuum of, of leadership in general. People are lazy. People are self-consumed. People want their comfort. People don't want to sacrifice. People don't want to get outside their walls. People don't want to risk offense. And sadly, that's happening in the church today as well. There's a, there's a vacuum of leadership amongst the churches in our land. 
There's so much confusion as to how do we respond to these days? How do we respond to these events? And many ch churches are just going the way of sounding just like the world. If you walk into a church, if you listen to some pastor's podcast, and you hear things like, oh, you're just accepted for who you are. You have good within you. You just need to think positively about yourself. You just need to do whatever feels right to you. You just need to accept everyone for who they are. There's so many truths. You do your truth, they'll do your truth. If you hear some pastor saying those things, get in your car and drive away. Amen. If you hear that on podcast, hit stop. Turn that dial, do something. That is the same message that the world has today. That is heard on any daytime talk show USA today. That is not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a place for mercy. There is a place for grace. But if you aren't speaking truth, grace has no power whatsoever. If you're eliminating from the possibility that someone would get their feelings hurt, be offended, and experience some pain in their soul, they'll never get free from what holds them. That is what leads people out. You can't repent if you don't experience some uncomfortableness, some awkwardness, some tension, some pain. That's what causes you to say, oh my, I need to change. And that's where the gospel comes in. Amen. So the church, some churches are going to have to stand up. Some churches are going to have to lead. Some churches are going to have to say, we are not going to sound like the world. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of daytime TV. But that's going to mean some awkwardness and some sacrifice and some banding together of churches in unity and some choices to say, I'm going to contend for the faith. I'm going to fight for the faith. I'm going to stand in the faith. I'm going to preserve the faith. But I and committed to us being one of those kind of churches. I want Vertical Church to be a standout church. Yes, we are full of grace, but boy, we are full of truth. And we'll stand on truth, regardless of the cost. If there's a cost, you won't find us bending, because we hold to the faith, the faith that has been handed down to us. We'll stand in it, fight for it, and preserve it. One final verse before we close today. It's a promise from the Old Testament. Isaiah 59, 19. God makes a promise. And when I see a promise, I'm all over it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, that's what's happened in our day. That's what's happening in our day. He's flooding in to every element of society. When he comes in like a flood, here's the promise. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Mm. Now, I'm grateful that God does that. But if you know some scripture 
and you know some new covenant, then you understand where the Spirit of God is today. He's not just in some ambiguous place somewhere on our planet. The Holy Spirit, the very essence of God, dwells inside you and I if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. So what happens is when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will all of a sudden rise up inside believers and say, this is not right. Something must be done. I must stand. I must believe. I must hold true. I must speak out. I must gather with others. I must be part of the standard that's lifted up against the enemy and what he's trying to do in our country, to my family, to my future, and to my friends. I will not let it happen any longer. Yeah, amen. This is what gives me hope going into 2021. I don't care what the enemy brings at us from this point forward. He can come in like an even bigger flood than he has before. The Spirit of God will just lift up an even greater standard. So, my question today is, when you sense him, when you hear him, when you hear him calling you to repent, to believe, to have faith, to lead, lead your family, lead your children, lead in your marriage, be a man, stand up. When you hear him say all those things within you, when you hear him say it to you, young people, when you hear him say it to you, wives, mothers, ladies, when you hear him speaking within you to rise up, to stand, to believe, will you do that? That's the question today. Will you do what God is rising up on the inside of you to do? All it takes is your simple submission to him. Your submission that says, yes, Lord, I am here. Rise up within me. I will do what you call me to do. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Heavenly Father, I know you're at work in our world today. Your word tells us that. I know you're at work within us today as well because your word tells us that too. And your spirit is raising up something new in us. It's raising up new hope, new passion, new levels of faith, new levels of obedience, new vision that we've not had before. So in this moment, Father, we as your people say, yes, Lord. Whatever you have for us, yes. If it means sacrifice, yes. If it means being courageous, yes. If it means speaking out, yes. If it means separating ourselves, yes. If it means reaching out, yes. Father, we will be your church. We will be your people. And we'll stand in the confidence of knowing that if you raise us up, not even the gates of hell can prevail against us. So, Father, I thank you for that. We don't have strength within us, but all of our strength comes from you. And in all of that, we say, yes, Lord. Raise us up. Call us out. We'll follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.